welcome to the God in the Wild series on the Idlewild podcast channel. God in the Wild explores the faith journeys of members of our community at Idlewild Presbyterian Church and how they see God at work in their lives. I am Elizabeth Doolin, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Elizabeth Doolin. I am the Director of Young Adult Ministry at Idlewild Presbyterian Church, and this is my first interview for the God in the Wild series on the Idlewild podcast channel. I am here today, Sunday, March 24th, after church, not during church, (laughs) with uh, Chad Braddock. Chad, would you mind um, telling us where you are, who you are, a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Chad Braddock, as as you said. (laughs) I'm an elder in the class of 2021 at Idlewild um, at my home in South Haven, Mississippi. And it is after church, I can confirm. (laughs) Thank you. Don't want anyone to think that uh, we're skipping. Absolutely not. So Chad and I are in the same supper club. So I I know Chad, but, you know, I wanted to get to know um, some of his story a bit better and learn more about his background because, you know, sometimes when we're in group settings and we're all talking about what's going on, you have a lot of interaction, but you may not always get to know someone's full story. So I wanted to hear more about Chad. So could you... um, Tell me about some of your experiences with faith growing up. What was that like for you? The church was was very important to our family growing up. You know, um, I don't know if I knew that it was faith at that point, but it was it was a very big part of our social circle and our friend circle. My parents were real involved in the Presbyterian church I grew up in. Both sides of my grandparents were in the same church. And so going to church was always something that was, it was expected, but it was never really a burden. Tons of my friends were in this small church, a lot of extended family, um, and we were there for any and every activity that went on. It was, it was very important to me as a child to be around that community. I felt like that was a safe space. I was extremely anxious as a child very shy, but at church around these people that I had grown up with from birth, um, I could be more myself. I could have fun and talk and, and be loved. And, and I didn't realize at the time how important that was or really what that was. I couldn't, I couldn't put a word to that. Um, but looking back, that was, I'm very grateful for that experience. So church was something that was really important to us as far as just something we did and something that was integral in our lives. Um, It wasn't probably until I went off to college where the decision to be active in a church was kind of my own. And that's probably when I would start saying that that's when my faith maybe started to develop. When I was growing up, you know, I had kind of just inherited the faith that my parents had. I just went along, you know, choice or no choice. Um, But I wanted to, but in college where I had more freedom had more time. Nobody was taking me or saying, let's get dressed. It became really important to me still to show up. I found myself, no matter how crazy the week had been, 
wanting to get dressed and go to church on Sunday mornings. It tied me back to that regular part of my childhood, those great memories, um, that community. It really filled me up for the week ahead. Um, so, so no matter how crazy things were, going to church and being in that community of worship was extremely important. So that's when faith really started to become my own, I think. And I really had the responsibility for my own faith at that point. After college and getting into the job, it became harder. It became more of a decision, um, especially as, as things around life changed, especially as self-awareness started to change. But I continued to still be active in whatever Presbyterian church was nearby. Because that was familiar and comforting to me on, on a deeper level, it was a safe space. I was not sure it was a safe space for me to be fully myself. Though. Mm. So I found myself, even as early as college, always putting on the brave face, or I'll call it the Christian face when I showed up to church. You kinda, I felt like I kind of left my outside life outside the church and was part of the community. I, I never really felt there was a joining of who Chad was, outside the church with who Chad was inside the church. So you're kind of compartmentalizing those parts of your life. I did that for a long time in life. I kept a work life, church life, and social life. That social life was really the true Chad, you know, the true person. And I, I, I couldn't imagine how those three things could become one. And it was painful. It was very painful. It affected each one of those boxes the fact that they couldn't be joined as one. Um, that's when I started using alcohol a lot. It, um, it helped me deal with that compartmentalization in my life. And it became more and more commonplace. Mm -hmm. It was to relax and have fun. It really was a crutch that allowed me to relax and be a part and, um, and deal with the shame that I started feeling inside myself. Mm -hmm. That got really bad out of control after college. Um, this whole time, I'm still in a church. I'm um, still active. I'm serving as an officer in a church, a suburban church, and going to church every Sunday. But I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I would be welcomed if I showed up as my true self, which really wouldn't change anything on the external. But I would have to really open up who I was to really become a part. I felt like I was in a group of people, but still so separated. It was, it was not comfortable for sure. It was hard and alcohol helped. I thought it helped until it didn't anymore. And it really took over my life. Uh, I went off to treatment and got sober. And when I came home from treatment, um, there was one guy that was the spiritual advisor where I went um, to treatment. And he was a Presbyterian minister and he knew my grandparents. Oh, wow. Was, and I had a lot of long talks with him about the church's views on different things and, and how, how to deal with the shame I felt inside as part of a church community and how to be open with God along with myself. And so when I came home from treatment, I was determined to get back into a church because I missed it greatly. It was, it was so familiar and, 
and so such a warm feeling to me to be in that community and and have that worship experience and that and the work of the church experience and so i did a google search <laughs> for gay friendly pcusa churches and Ottawild popped up mm -hmm. Ottawild had hosted a national meeting of the covenant network just a few years before this yeah. um and the covenant network had worked for many years on full inclusion of the LGBTQ community into offices in the church, as well as minister the word and sacrament. And so I came to visit Ottawild. And on one of the first Sundays of visiting, uh, the Christ Care groups were first started, or a revamped version. And one of the Christ Care groups was for people that's lives were affected by addiction and alcoholism. And so not only had I found a church that was open and accepting for gay and lesbian people, but I also found a church that had a group in the bulletin, out there in the open, to deal with alcoholism and, and drug addiction. And so I, I went to the group. Um, wasn't a member yet, but I called and they said, well, absolutely. And so I, I developed a relationship with the members of that group that I have to this day. We were a very close group. That group allowed me to share more of myself than I had before. Um, learned so much from um, the, the guys and girls that were in that group and that still are in that group. They were extremely important to, to me reconciling who I was and who the church was and how we could mix those two together. I also had a great conversation over lunch really early on in visiting Ottawild with Casey Thompson that was an associate. And I just point blank asked him, you know, I'm a gay man that's in recovery and I'm a lifelong Presbyterian, is Ottawa the place where I could be at home? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was up front. He said, I can assure you that the ministry staff is on board, as well as the majority of the congregation. Not 100% of people. I said, that's okay. I can deal with not 100% of the people. But I need to know that the majority of this family of faith will have my back. And he said, yeah. And so after a couple of years, I finally, um, I finally joined. <laughs> there was a lot of visiting. A lot of certainty because I had had bad experiences before, you know, and I just, I couldn't deal with that again. Yeah. Feeling of, of shame and rejection. And, and I have never felt that at Ottawild. Yeah. It's been tough times. Um, we've struggled with a lot of different decisions over the years, but I've always felt that Ottawild was a place where truly everybody was loved, accepted, and it could be a full part of the work and worship of the church. And so that I, I always come back to that, you know. So that's how I got to Ottawa. <laughs> and the fact that, that I just jumped in feet first, that's a testament to how I was brought up. My parents were like that, you know, my, my entire family. We were, we were always involved in the work of the church. And so the fact that Ottawa had so many places that were close to my heart to get plugged in, like, more than a meal, um, and the Gay Straight Fellowship, and the Christ Care groups, those were just important to me, and and I was very glad and grateful for the opportunity to serve in those places, and still am, because it keeps me connected to parts of my life, um, and to people in my life that keep me grounded. Um, our guests at More Than a Meal um, have a story. They're not just somebody that is is homeless, or is hungry, or is having a bad experience or run of things in life, they are people that 
are just like you and me, or just like me, I'll speak for myself, but circumstances have been a lot tougher for them. I can see myself, if I hadn't had the opportunity to get sober, I could see myself in just about every one of the games more than a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I have friends that didn't get certain opportunities and they have struggled. And so getting to serve there is a way to give back and to get to know those people and, and keep me grounded and keep me grateful. I do want to um, go back a few steps. Um, tell me, um, where, where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in Ripley, Mississippi, a small town in Mississippi. It's close to Tupelo um, and very close to the Tennessee state line. We grew up out in the county. Um, the community was called Faulkner. And so the church I grew up in was Faulkner Presbyterian Church. My grandfather had actually helped raise the funds because he was a farmer and also a contractor. And so him and his crew actually built the sanctuary and the church building that they still worship in today. And so when I say we were real involved in the church, we were real involved. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it. My mom played the piano, you know, they served as officers and yeah, it was, it was a big part of our growing up church activities in the church family. Yeah. Well, you've kind of, you've touched on this, but could you say more about growing up and transitioning from the faith of your parents to your own family? faith and how your understanding of you know what it means to be a christian and who god is how how did those things evolve in your life it had a lot to do with the people i came in contact with um both people of faith and people that questioned i learned from early on in an experience in the oxford presbyterian church that it was okay to ask questions in church and so having that ability to ask questions that I thought were probably off limits and probably weren't welcomed, that was important to me. That helped strengthen my faith and my belief. Um, I just didn't have to blanketly or accept what was given to me. I was given the opportunity and I learned it was okay to ask questions. And only through that questioning did I that I get a stronger sense of who God was and who a Christian was and who I was. Having those experiences in safe spaces to ask questions. Also, my experiences with other people. Um, in college, I, I, had, I roomed with, I, I, we had a house and uh, two, of the, two of the roommates were real big, you know, they were, grew up in a very evangelical background. And so they were very, very religious. And then there was me, which was, I would consider myself kind of medium. I was very faithful in attendance, but I had lots of questions. And there was one that was um, a total non-believer. She grew up without um, any organized religion whatsoever in her background. And so the two of us had the best questions because I found that, that she was very open to discussions. And we would ask each other questions and, and just, just to be in that safe faith helped me develop a much deeper faith and count myself as a much stronger Christian because of that. Um, also just seeing other people, selfless acts along the way, people that reached out to me and to others that I got to witness, those things helped me develop a deep love for Christ and for the church because I saw them living out the lessons from Sunday school. I saw them living out what was preached 
I saw them being an example of what it meant to be a Christian. Mm. And so those things really changed and deepened my faith a great deal. Yeah. Love and acceptance from Idlewild. I, I can't tell you how much my faith has grown um, and my commitment to Christ and to the church has grown because of how important Idlewild and, and not the building, but the people have been to my faith. I go back to that Christ care group and uh, those, those ladies and guys that were in that Christ care group, most of which uh, were Al-Anon. So that means they had a loved one that was active in addiction or alcoholism. So the bonds that we had developed and the love that was shared was very important, really plugged me in. Um, just to see how the church and the community of faith has, be has really become my family, which is what I grew up with and, and what I always wanted. But I didn't think that would be possible for me. Yeah. And so to have that now is something that I am forever grateful for. I wanna, I wanna go back to what you said about, you know, realizing that it was okay to ask questions. I'm kind of curious if you can recall and if you're okay sharing, what were some of the questions that you had? Ooh, does God really forgive all sins? Mm. Does um, does the church really hate homosexuals? Oh gosh, let me. Those were the two big ones that I remember asking. Does God get mad when we ask questions? <laughs> I'm in college asking these questions. You know, thinking about it now, it sounds like something that I would hope a grade schooler could ask. But at the time, I didn't have the courage to ask those until I was in college. <laughs> so. They were, they wait on me for years, you know, and it, and I didn't get clear cut answers. I did get clear cut answers homosexual, that God did love everybody equal. But the other ones, you know, I got answers, but I got questions back. So I, <laughs> yeah, just like a good pastor, I got questions back. <laughs> did you... Did some of that ambiguity and some of the mystery, did that feel comforting or unsettling or a little both? A both. Yeah. Uh, kind of sounded more comforting than anything because what I had seen and witnessed from the outside of most mainland, mainline religions had been very concrete, black and white. And so to know that there was ambiguity and there was this gray area and God existed there was super comforting to me that I was not expected to have all the answers and have all the verses memorized, mm -hmm. but I was okay just asking questions and working through those and then not getting an answer. That, that was probably more comforting to me than if I had been given this sheet of 10 things, yes or no questions, you know, that would have been hard to deal with, I think, because I like the gray area. <laughs> I do too. I do too. So having that, you know, it was scary. It, it's still kind of scary sometimes when I think about, you know, not having the answers and the questions that maybe we won't answer it at different times. But for some reason, I find this, this warm comfort in the gray area and the ambiguity. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Sorry, my dog is scratching herself in the background. Carla. Carla. She's enjoying you. <laughs> yes. She has also enjoyed me being home all the time during the pandemic. 
Boy, what this has been insane. I never imagined in my life something like this. Not even watching the crazy movies that had a pandemic. I was like, that'll never happen. That's too sci-fi. Uh-huh. I've been lucky to be at work every day. I'm a pharmacist, so I'm going in all the time. And it's been crazy. Um, we've had several employees to quarantine because of potential exposure. We've went through super cautious measures. We closed the store and just did the drive through and the walk-up for a while, which added a lot of work to our, our staff. So it's been hard. It's been exhausting and exhausting. But, but I've seen so many people, I've seen so many helpers. Mm. I, I think Mr. Rogers had that quote, and I love it. What do you look for in times of tragedy? You always look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. And Steve used to like that quote, because I believe I've heard him say it a couple of times. So lots of helpers during this pandemic. And, and I don't mean any grand gestures. For me, in any circumstance, the biggest helper or the biggest impact are the small things. So a handwritten note or a call to check on somebody or an email or a Facebook meme that really speaks to me. Sometimes those help me a lot more than some grand gesture might or does. And that, that's probably true with, with most experiences, both good and bad that I've been through in life. Those small things I remember and stick with me. I, I'm, I'm probably more grateful for those small gestures. They mean a lot. Yeah. We take that for granted. I, I take that for granted a lot of times. I feel like if, if, it's, um, if it's a loss or a celebration that I need to get the best gift or the most beautiful flowers, but sometimes just the simplest note mm-hmm. oral to people. I know it does to me anyway. Yeah. And so that's where I've really, that's what I've really almost enjoyed during the pandemic or seeing those, those glimmers of hope, because I believe that's a glimmer of, of Christ's love right there. Yeah. Being shared between people or communities. And it's been hard. I've had to look for them. It's not, it's not like church is open. We can just show up and be given this beautiful experience of music and word and, and family. I have had to seek that out and that's probably been the hardest thing during the pandemic. It's not the work hours or the stress, which has been overpowering some days. It's the fact that I'm having to seek out those connections more. Because even through the bad times of growing up, even through the struggles, even through the darkest questions, I could always go to church and get this open sense that it was okay. And during the past few months, we haven't had that building to go to and get that over overwhelming sense that it's going to be okay and that's been really hard and so seeking that out has been a goal that I've had to stick with and that looks like connecting with other people through a note or a call I've had some great calls with some people that I didn't know at Idlewild I had to look up what their face was you know I'm like I know that person but I didn't know her name was Sally you know something like (laughs) so um I'm grateful for those experiences and some of them have have lasted for 30 minutes or more. So those have been great. Those have been a true gift of this crazy pandemic. Yeah, I think we've all had to be more intentional with our relationships and our connections during this time. It's like you said, you can't just show up at a building and all the people are there and then you see them and you pass in the hallway and you catch up. Uh, You really have to make an effort in a way that 
we didn't before. Would you say that, you know, your understanding of what it means to be church right now has evolved into something different with having to have that intentionality? Absolutely. It's made me not take that for granted for sure. And like you said, definitely work for it. I feel like it has definitely strengthened my sense of what church is. We always, I always felt that I knew it wasn't the building, but it's really strengthened what it means, how important that community of faith is to me and that it looks very different now. We've had to work, I've had to work for that. Um, and that's been good. Where, where would you say that you see Christ at work in your life during this time? Oof. The people that are making a difference, and that does not need to be the grand gesture, like I said, but the people that show up to volunteer on Wednesdays for our food bank donation, the people that show up on Thursday nights to, to give our more than a meal guests their to-go dinners, the people that work at the Kroger, and those jobs that are of vital importance to us, but that don't get recognition. Those are the, the people that I see Christ in the most, especially the ones that show up with a great attitude. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Just the ones that show up, I'm grateful for. Yes. <laughs> with a great attitude. It shows. And it just makes me smile on the inside. And of course, healthcare workers, frontline workers, all those people are important, but the people writing the notes to each other, mm-hmm. those are important. Yes. How I've seen Christ at work in this pandemic. I got a note in the mail recently from the personnel committee just saying thank you for the work that you're doing and words of encouragement and support and that just made me feel really special thought of in this time and like I work at and belong to a church that is really trying to take care of its people. Right. So Our final question, if you were stuck on a deserted island, what three things would you want with you? This was the question that was stressing me out the most. I'm just going to tell you that. (laughs) I think about this, you know, being in recovery and and being an officer at Idlewild, where we've actually put words to our faith statement before, that that was not, that that wasn't as hard for me as this question. Everyone else is getting asked it too. <laughs> okay, good. This is the one I want to fast forward and listen to for sure. All right, so the three things. So, so music, some ability to have music, whether that be like an iPad or an old cassette player. But music is so important to me. That's, and it doesn't necessarily be, you know, it can be any variety. It just takes me back to a point in my life where I remember that song for a particular reason. I don't know why, but I've always associated great memories, tragic memories with me. And so some way to have music on this deserted island would be bring me great sanity and peace and hope. So some music. AJ's my partner because AJ is and I are very different, but we can get through just about anything together. Mm-hmm. Um, him, he would be the wild animal chaser downer. <laughs> how to get us off the island so I would need a there <laughs> that dynamic sounds accurate to me <laughs> we work well together what can I say 
And the third one would be some way to connect with the outside world. Now, it might not be communication. That might not be an option. It might be a book. It could be the Bible. It could be a hymnal. It could be a great classic novel. One of my favorites is The Scarlet Letter. So some kind of connection to the outside world in the form of reading. I know we probably should be putting the Bible at the top of their list, but as a true Presbyterian, I will read a lot of other things, usually commentaries before I go to the Bible. I'm sorry. That sounds very Presbyterian to me. <laughs> I, but I also read a lot of other things along with it. Yes. No judgment here. Okay, thank you, thank you. So I, I like the judgment-free zone for sure. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much um, for this interview. Um, it's fun. I, yeah, this was fun. I feel like I feel like we know each other better now. Yeah, I Almost. feel like I've really learned a lot about you. We're gonna do this again, and you're gonna answer, answer the questions. Okay. 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 We can do that. I'm so grateful for this project. I, I think this will be fascinating. It's something I will look forward to listening to um, for all sorts of demographics at our church. Because getting to know each other better than just Sunday mornings or other activities will connect us, I think, so, so deep, on such a deep level. So I'm grateful for that. I agree. I'm, I'm very hopeful to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Chad, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon and your Memorial Day weekend. Absolutely. Y'all, too. Get out and about. The sun's yeah. out now. Yes. We plan to. <laughs> I hope to see you in person soon, Elizabeth. Yes, I hope to see you in person as well, Chad. <laughs> Here. Thank okay. you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God in the Wild. If you'd like to be involved, whether through leading an interview or nominating someone whose story you would like to hear, please contact me, Elizabeth Doolin, at edoolin at idlewildchurch.org. May God be with you out in the wild.